Praise the Lord. It is so good to see each and every one of you here in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. I'm looking forward to what God has in store for us. Praise God. Every time we come to the house of God, God has great and mighty things in store. Amen. Whether or not we receive that, I've discovered from personal experience is pretty much all up to me. The will of God never changes. He always has something in store. He's always ready to heal or to forgive or to restore or to provide whatever my need is. I can get it met here tonight. Amen. But some things are left up to me. According to your faith, be it unto you. Amen. I've got to believe the scriptures. I've got to believe that the word of God is true. Amen. And when I do, my God is glorious and he is wondrous to deliver and to save with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Whatever the need is, he's here. Amen. Let's all stand tonight. We have a lot that needs to be prayed for. Uh, There are several that need a healing. I won't mention names because we're online tonight. Uh, But uh, most of you know, if you were at prayer last night, we prayed for them last night. Um, But in any case, God knows knows the need. Uh, Let's remember these. Um, There are some things... I'm going to be as vague as possible on purpose when I say this, but pray for the body of Christ. Amen. The devil is rearing his ugly head, and as frustrating as that is, it's also encouraging in a way, because uh, we must be doing something right. Amen. Pray for unity in the body of Christ. You know, when uh, seeds of dissension are sown, uh, that's, that's kind of like an autoimmune disorder in the physical body where the immune system starts attacking itself. Amen. That is not the will of God. So let's pray for unity in the body of Christ. Let's pray for those that need a healing. Let's pray for our service tonight. Each and every person here, those joining us online, that we would receive from the Lord exactly what we need tonight. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We praise you. We laud and we magnify you. We heap glory and honor upon the Most High God tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus. What an awesome opportunity you've afforded each and every person here tonight. Entering into the presence of God, the very throne room of the Almighty. Hallelujah, Jesus. I will not take that for granted. I will not esteem that lightly. Lord Jesus, I worship you. I worship you. I worship you. And I am so thankful for this this opportunity tonight to receive of you as we open your precious word, as we open the word of truth, Lord, that we would receive from your word tonight. Your word is yea, and it is amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will not pass away. Thank you, Jesus. It is the foundation of our lives. Thank you, Lord, for making us repositories of truth, that you have given us the very word of God. 
I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that it would wax bold and strong tonight, that your word would go forth and it would not return void, but it would accomplish that which you please, and that it would prosper in the thing whereto you send it. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you. We worship you. We praise you. Your presence is in this place powerfully. Your presence is here mightily. And I am so thankful for you. I am so thankful for what you have in store for us tonight. Prepare our hearts and our minds to receive it. And we'll give you the glory. We'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Sister uh, Rudy will come tonight. Amen. And as she comes, you can be seated. Well, it's like Brother Becker read my notes. <laughs> so thank you. Truly the Lord has come to minister, if you are willing to let him. And tonight I'm going to pray that the Lord will bless us. Lord, I pray tonight that you will bless our minds, that we will possess the mind of Christ today. I pray that you would bless our eyes, that we would look through your lenses, O God, that we would look through the kingdom purpose lenses. I pray, O Lord, that you would sit on the seat of our emotions today, and I pray that you would bless our ears so that we can hear what you desire to teach us and to give us, what you desire, O God, to minister to us tonight. In the name of Jesus, I speak it. Amen. So, Brother Becker pretty much said what I was going to begin with. The Lord has come to minister to you tonight. <clears throat> Whatever the need is, if it's healing, by his stripes we are healed. If it's forgiveness, his blood covers the multitude of our sins. If it's deliverance, in the name of Jesus, there is deliverance. If it's salvation, the name of Jesus will bring that to us. Whatever you need tonight, if you will reach out and just touch him, worship him, seek his face, not leave, not be half satisfied, he will minister to you. Psalms 24, and Sister DeMuth, I didn't give this to you, but I'm just going to read it. Psalms 24, 7 says, Lift up your hands, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. The king of glory desires to come in. But if you prohibit him, he cannot enter. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. And be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And his name is Jesus. Just speak that name. So the scripture we're going to really start with is going to be Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Has thou not known, has thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, 
And to them that hath no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And tonight we're going to be talking about waiting on the Lord. Turbulent winds. Turbulent winds can turn into benefits. When situations and circumstances come and we don't know where to go, there's only one person that can help us, and that is Jesus. You know, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the furnace, all of them, their whole body was in that burning furnace. When Daniel was thrown into the lion's dens, he was surrounded by lions. And sometimes when turbulence comes into our life, when situations and circumstances that we have no control over come into our life and we don't know what to do and we feel like we're being, we are like a piece of wood in the sea being battered on every side, we know who has the answer. It is Jesus. And when these things come, sometimes they come for our benefit, and we don't even realize it. Turbulent winds. winds. We're going to be talking about eagles for a little bit. Some things you may know, some things I learned. But when turbulent winds come, it causes the eagle to fly higher. Tremendous lifting power is in the thermal updrafts that cause the eagle to reach great heights as he he soars with them. Turbulent winds give the eagle a larger view. The higher the eagle flies, the larger will be his perspective of the land below him. From this higher position, the sharp eyes of the eagle are able to see much more. When we come into situations and circumstances, that are turbulent. We do not know and we cannot see and we don't have answers, but we know the one that sees the beginning from the end. We know the one that speaks as if it's already done, even though it has not happened yet. Sometimes it's for our benefit. He wants to help us to grow, to mature. As Christians, we need to mature so that when hard things really come, and hard things are coming, that we are able to stand and not to be afraid and to know where to go. There's only one place we can go. Where can we go but to Jesus? He alone has a words to eternal life. Turbulent wings, they lift the eagle above harassment. At lower level or lower elevations, the eagle is often harassed by different species, crows, Sometimes hawks, other times it's blackbirds. As the eagle soars higher, he leaves behind all these distractions. The Lord wants us to lift up our eyes, to look unto him, and not to be distracted. And it's not easy, especially when hard times come, when the winds of turbulence move on every hand. But it's Jesus alone that can be the answer. 
that can give the peace, that can restore your soul, and can give you rest and encouragement. Turbulent winds allow the eagle to use less effort. The wings of the eagle are designed for gliding in the wind. The structure of the wings prevent stalling, reduces the turbulence, and produces a relatively smooth ride with minimum effort, even in the rough winds. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could really trust our God in the turbulent times so that it could lift us up above? That's what he desires, to lift us up. When he said, wait on me, when he said, come on to me, he wants us to look to him and not to the situation or circumstances that seem impossible. Turbulent wings, winds, help or allows the eagle to stay up longer. Just as the wind helps the palm tree who has to grow its roots deep, it bends it, it sways it, but it helps it to grow. So when turbulence And situations and circumstances come into our life. They help us to grow. Even as a child and as little children, they have to overcome obstacles. They have to learn to walk. They have to learn to balance. They have to learn to trust. So we as Christians must learn to grow in his grace and his knowledge, to trust him and not to be afraid. Every time a situation comes that we can't handle, where are you going to go but to Jesus? He is the king of glory. He's strong and mighty. He's the Lord of hosts. Where else can we go? Turbulent winds help the eagle to fly faster. Normally, the eagle flies at the speed of about 50 miles per hour. However, when he glides in the wind currents, he can gain up to 100 miles per hour. So here's a few facts about the eagles. We have bald eagles. Do you know why they're called bald? (laughs) Well, actually, bald is an old English term which really meant white or white-haired. It didn't mean no hair. So that's where the bald eagle got its name. They have the largest nest. Um, They go every year. They return to the same tree and they keep building upon the nest that they had the year before. The biggest nest that has ever been recorded was 10 feet high and 20 feet wide. Some bald eagles, um, they mate for life. They can reach altitudes of over 10,000 feet. Their eyesight is eight times stronger than ours. They are one of the world's largest raptors. Their grip strength is a crushing 400 PSI. They are not bald. And the eagle's grip is 10 times stronger than that of a human's. Is that why the Lord said, wait upon the Lord? and Your strength will be renewed like the eagle's? He wants us to learn from nature. I love nature. We have the privilege to have sandhill cranes down where we live, and every year it seems like there's more and more. 
And one day my husband and I were walking on the trail and like six or eight flew over our head. And you could actually hear the wind whooshing as they were flapping their wings because they were so low. Every time I see a bird in nature, like we have eagles and we have geese and we have sandhill cranes and we have blue heron and we have egrets, I just thank God for it because there's so many lessons in nature. If we would just take the time to listen to God and how he wants to speak to us in different ways. So we're going to start talking about Peter. I was thinking about how God desires to grow us into maturity. And all of us know Peter. Um, I don't know if Peter was like a ruffian, but he was the man that was going to speak out. And he was a man not afraid to ask questions. When others were afraid or held back, Peter wasn't. But he didn't always get it right because he's human. But iron sharpens iron. And once Jesus called Peter, that was when the work began. Jesus and God, they were preparing Peter for the role he would play in the future. A role that Peter didn't even know that was coming his way. But there were some rough edges that had to be taken off. There was some turbulence that would have to come to him. He didn't get the whole picture. And we don't always get the whole picture. And we might never get the whole picture till we get to heaven. And then whatever needs to be revealed will be revealed. But the point was that there was a purpose for it. And it would come to an end. And that purpose would be fulfilled. So Andrew, Peter's brother... We know that Peter and Andrew were fishermen, and so were James and John. They were like partners. Andrew was also a disciple of John's. And when he was with John one day or by John one day, John said, Behold the Lamb of God. And Andrew and another disciple started to follow Jesus. And when they were following him, Jesus noticed and he said, What? What do you want? And they said, Rabbi or teacher, we want to know where you dwell. And Jesus said, well, come and follow me and you can see. But Andrew, instead of immediately following Jesus, he ran to get his brother because he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And he wanted Peter to come with them. So he said, Peter, we have found the Messiah. Come with me. And Peter did. He left what he was doing, and he went and followed. And when Jesus saw Peter, he said, Simon Barjona. It would be like, my parents never called me by my middle name, really, but sometimes when I want to get my granddaughter's attention, I will say, Rosemary Joy, and she knows to look. She might be ignoring that her name, Rose, but if I say Rosemary Joy, I've got her attention. So when Jesus said, Simon Barjona, I'm sure he got his attention. And then he says to him, thou shalt be called Cephas, Peter, the stone. Now that would have caught my attention. He didn't say that to others. He didn't change others' names, all the other disciples' names, but he changed Peter's name. 
And I do believe that Peter was probably like a rock in some ways. So, Jesus is teaching along the shore of Galilee. And there's such a crowd that he gets into Peter's boat because Peter is there mending his nets. They're washing their nets. They had been all night fishing. So he gets into Peter's boat and he says, push off from shore. And he begins to teach the people. And when he's done teaching the people, he says something to Peter. He says, Peter, I want you to launch out into the deep and I want you to drop your nets. And Peter says, We've been out fishing all night long. You know, they were fishermen. They probably knew where to go to catch the fish. We've been fishing all night long, and we haven't caught a thing. But nevertheless, because you've said it, we'll do it. And they dropped their nets. And they brought in so many fish that the net was breaking that they had to call to their partners, James and John, to come and help them pull in all these fish. So their nets wouldn't break, and they wouldn't lose all the catch. But it so touched Peter that he fell at Jesus' knees, and he said, depart from me. Because he didn't have the faith. He didn't believe what Jesus had to say. He was obedient, but yet in his heart, he didn't, he didn't really think they would catch anything. Nonetheless, a catch that was so, so many fish that they would have to call their partners and their net could break. You see, Jesus does see things that we don't. Nevertheless, if we will be obedient. When he speaks a word to us, if we would just obey that word. If we see the word in his, in his word, if we read it, memorize it, let it wash over us, believe it. This is what Jesus wants from us. He wants to mature us. When situations and circumstances come into our lives, he wants to minister to us. Will we let him? He can't do it unless we let him. And it's not our terms. It's not the way we think. A lot of times God moves in ways that we question or we didn't see that coming that way. Peter didn't see that day that Jesus would ask him to go out fishing again because they had fished all night. But he was obedient. And because of his obedience, he learned a great lesson. So Jesus goes to Peter's house, and what does he do? Peter's mother-in-law is ill, so he heals her. So he's showing Peter and some of the disciples. He's showing him their, his ministry. He's showing them what eventually they are going to be doing, healing the sick. So one day a rich young ruler comes, and he says to Jesus, What do I need to do to receive eternal life? So Jesus starts going through the commandments. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And this young ruler, he said, well, I've kept these commandments from my youth. So what else do I need to do? And Jesus said, well, There's one thing you yet lack. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. That was probably a hard saying, even for the disciples to hear. But he knew what was in that young man's heart 
and he knew that perhaps it was covetousness in his heart, that he was not willing to give up his money. You see, the disciples eventually, they gave up everything to follow Jesus, including their lives. But this yet, this rich young ruler, there was something in his heart that Jesus could see that maybe others couldn't. So we're going to turn to Matthew 19, and we're going to read verses 22 through 27. So when he had said this and the young ruler went away, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? Because if you were rich, wasn't God blessing you? Didn't you have the favor of God? With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's what Jesus replied. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have there for? Wow. Man on the spot. Well, we've left everything. Now tell us, what are we going to gain? What are, what, what is, what, what are we going to get in your kingdom, Jesus? And maybe they were thinking that Jesus was going to have a king, uh, earthly kingdom at that time. I don't know. But Peter wants to know. He's kind of a little impatient. He's going to ask a question that maybe the other disciples were wondering. But what did Jesus say? He said, anybody that has forsaken houses, lands, children, sisters, brothers, fathers, mothers, they're going to receive eternal life. That's what they're going to receive. I don't know if that was the answer that they were looking for that day. But that was the answer that Jesus gave. And I'm sure they thought about these things as they went walking with Jesus for those three years, learning about him, learning what he had to say about situations and circumstances. God is trying to to sharpen iron with iron. He's trying to get all those rough edges off them, to get them to think eternally, to get them to think about God's kingdom, not this earthly kingdom, but the heavenly kingdom. This is what he's trying to point them to. So one day they go walking, and Jesus sees a fig tree. Now this fig tree has leaves, but it says in the Bible that it was not time for the tricks, the figs yet. It wasn't time for that fruit to be on that tree. But Jesus walks by it, and he sees that it has no fruit, and he curses the tree. And so then a couple of days later, they come by the tree again. And when they do, Peter says, there's the tree that you cursed, Jesus. It's withered by the roots. So Jesus is trying to teach them another lesson. He's using nature 
to teach them something. They were surprised that it was withered away. They had just been by that tree. It was healthy. It didn't have fruit on it yet, but it wasn't supposed to, but it did have leaves on it. It was growing. There was nothing wrong with it. So let's go to Mark 11, 23 and 26. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe on that those things which he had said shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. So he's trying to teach them some lessons here about the tree. I don't think that after Jesus cursed that tree that they thought that that tree would be dead. But there's power in the word. So he's trying to teach them. That when you pray, unless you really believe that those prayers are going to be answered, and you need to know how to pray. Because James says, if you pray amiss, you're not going to receive what you're praying for. So he's trying to teach them some lessons. And you have to believe it. Because he said, if you believe it, that mountain could be picked up and moved into the sea. So in other words, the things that Jesus has told us and said are going to come to pass... They're going to come to pass. And if you will pray and believe that what he said is is true and believe that he is is faithful to do that, which he said he would do, he's going to do it. But something, it's our part too. It's just not him. We have a part in it. We have to believe it. We have to believe that when he said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. We have to believe that he's going to give us peace or we'll never have that peace. We, when, when, he, when David wrote and said, I lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help? He had to believe. David knew where his help was coming from. It was coming from God. So when we pray and we ask God for help, we have to believe that it's going to happen because it won't unless you believe it. If you believe it, it will. If you don't believe it, it won't. If you come here, are you coming to worship him? Then let's worship him. Not to criticize. Not to look at others. But to look at Jesus. That's what he wants. is for our eyes to be on him. That's why I come. I come to worship him. When we sing, when we pray, when the word of God comes across this pulpit, it's for each one of us. We all have something that we can gain from it. But if we refuse, if we don't have ears that hear, we're not going to be moved. And he is a gentleman. He will never force himself upon you. You have to have that desire. You have to want. You have to believe. His word is true. You have to let it wash over you. So this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples, and Peter especially, Because Peter, we know, the church, Revelation is coming to Peter. He's going to be the leader. 
So he needs to know some of these things. And he is already a leader, I believe. That's why he already spoke out. But there were rough edges that had to come off. There were things that he needed to learn. He needed to be trained by Jesus. Have faith in God. Do not doubt in your hearts. When you stand and pray, believe. So, one day, Jesus is teaching, and there's a multitude of people there on the mountain teaching. He's, they've been there for three days. He, he doesn't want to send them away hungry, so he feeds them. He, gives them. he multiplies the bread. He multiplies the fish. Some of the people were following Jesus just for the miracles. And others were following him because they knew there was something more, and they needed that something more. And he does perform miracles, signs, and wonders. But he does it to those that don't believe. For those who don't believe, that's a sign to them. That's the purpose of signs, miracles, and wonders for the unbelievers. But we are believers. We know what he can do. I know that he's touched my body and healed my body. I know that when I was pregnant with my daughter and we were coming to this church and I could not keep any food down and I was so sick and I had a bladder infection and I could hardly get those me- that medication down. I know that after we had to leave church early because I just couldn't even be in church. I was so sick. I should have been in the hospital, but the doctor I had just didn't understand. There was a man from the church that came and he knocked on our door and he said, the Lord told me to come and pray for you. So we got a little oil. He prayed for me. I knew the Lord had sent him, and I threw the medication away. And my husband said, well, what if you need that again? And I said, I won't, because the Lord has healed me. It's only when you believe. I believe that man. I believed God had sent him. I believe God had spoke to him, and he did, and I was healed. I believe. You have to believe. So so Jesus, after that, he sent his disciples into a boat to go on the other side of the lake. And he went up into the mountain to pray because he had been ministering to these people for three days. And he needed to restore his soul. And so they were on the water and a storm came. And the winds and the waves. And like I said before, Lake Galilee is not known for storms. It's very rare that they have storms. And if they do, maybe four feet waves A 10-foot wave would really be something. So here these fishermen are on the water without Jesus. The storm is coming. They're rowing and rowing. And in the fourth watch, it says he walked on the water. He was walking on the water. And they see him. But they think it's a ghost. They don't really think it's Jesus. They think it. Somehow they had this idea of spirits because even when Peter was in jail and was set free and he knocked on the door and Rhoda heard him, but she didn't let him in. And she came to the people that were praying because they were praying that he would be set free, that, that they would set him free and release him from jail. And they said, no, it's Peter's spirit. So they knew something about that. So they said, no, it's a ghost. But then they c- cried out to him and, it's, and Jesus said, don't be afraid, it's me. So Peter says, okay, none of the other disciples, only Peter's going to speak out. If that's you, then bid me come walk on that water. And God, Jesus gave Peter a word. Only Peter was given that word because only Peter spoke out and said, if it's you, let me walk on that water. 
And he did walk on the water until he saw the winds of adversity and he became afraid. And then he said, Lord, save me, help me. And Jesus touched his hand, reached out, and immediately they were in the boat. You see, the winds of adversity were strong. But Peter had faith in that moment. And God honored that faith. Jesus honored that faith. And if he wouldn't have looked at the winds, if he would have kept his focus on Jesus, the winds of adversity would not have overtaken him. And he would not have sank. Teaching. Jesus is teaching us to be strong, to be mature. So one day, they come and question Jesus about tribute, you know, giving to Caesar what is owed to Caesar. And Jesus says to Peter, now, mind you, there were four fishermen. Andrew was a fisherman. Peter was a fisherman. James and John were fishermen. But he only speaks to Peter. And he says, Peter, I want you to go fishing for me. I want you to go fishing cast a hook into the sea, and bring up that fish. You're going to catch a fish. And when you catch a fish, I want you to open up the, the mouth of the fish, and in that mouth is going to be the tribute money that we need. Well, that happens every day, doesn't it? I mean, I know there's fishermen here. I don't know any fisherman that's caught a fish with money in it. Now, maybe there have been, but I don't know of any. So Peter is obedient. He doesn't question Jesus. He doesn't say, you know, this sounds really far out. I've been fishing all my life, and I've never found money in a, in a fish's mouth. That would be cool, Jesus. Like, can we just do that? <laughs> no working, just go and catch those fish. But he was obedient, and that's exactly what happened. One day, Jairus, a ruler, comes to Jesus and tells him, my daughter is sick. She's dying. It's my only child. Will you come and heal her? And, of course, the disciples were with him. There was a great crowd actually around Jesus. And Peter and James and John were with him. So when they go to Jairus' house, his daughter had already passed. She had passed. She had died. So the people are saying, don't bother the teacher anymore. Jairus' daughter is dead. Send him, you know, why are you bothering him? And Jesus sends out all the naysayers. He makes them all leave. All the mourners, all the naysayers, all the disbelievers. You, you need to get out of this house. Because miracles cannot happen when there are negative naysayers, unbelievers. It won't happen. So he sends them away. But who does he bring with them? He brings with them Peter, James, and John into the room where that daughter was because they believed. They were there to see and to believe. They had been faithful disciples. They had already seen what Jesus could do. And he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. And didn't the disciples do the same? And didn't Jesus say that we would do the same? Yeah, if you believe, if you believe. So then 
Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. He's going to go up into a mountain to pray. And he takes those three disciples with him. And they fall asleep. And Jesus is praying. And when they wake up or they see this vision, they see that Jesus has been transfigured. He's a bright, he's shining, he's bright. And not only is he there, but they see Moses and Elijah. And they're afraid. And they, they don't quite know what's going on. So after that, they see that Moses and Elijah, they disappear. And Jesus is talking to them, and he's telling them, now, don't tell anybody about what you see. But Peter, he's like so excited. I mean, you know, he got to see Moses and Elijah. And they were with Jesus. And Jesus was transfigured. He was different. It was like he was God. And he was so excited. He said, okay, Jesus, this is a good thing that we were here. Let's build three tabernacles, one to you, one to Moses, one to Elijah. He was missing the point. No, you're not going to build tabernacles so people can come and worship Moses and Elijah. I mean, no, no, that wasn't the purpose of it. They were seeing through a kingdom lens, through God's eyes. They were seeing kingdom stuff, and they just weren't aware of it. But God was training them to see kingdom, kingdom purposes, kingdom things, not earthly. Oh, I love this one. I love it when they were at the Last Supper. And Jesus goes to grab a towel, a towel and some water to start washing the disciples' feet. Nobody had thought to do that. But here was the king of glory on his knees washing their feet. So Peter, oh, he steps up to the plate. And he said, oh, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part in me. Again, Peter steps up to the gate and he says, okay, Lord, if that's the truth, then I don't want just my feet washed. I want you to wash me from my head to my toe. I don't want to miss out on any of that. If I'm going to have a part of your kingdom and this is what I need to do to allow you to wash my feet, then my whole body. And again, he's kind of missing the point here. Jesus is trying to teach him something in this moment. And he's like, no, Peter, you don't need a bath. This, this is not like just cleansing your body. What he was trying to teach them that if you're going to be a follower of me and you're going to be great, then you're going to have to learn to be a servant. This was a servant's duty, and nobody had taken it up. It wasn't about washing their feet. It was about teaching them that the last are going to be first and the first are going to be last. It was teaching them humility and how to be a good leader. A good leader is a servant. I'm not going to ask anybody to do something I'm unwilling to do. So he's trying to teach. And I just love Peter. He's just always all in. Whatever, whatever happens, he's all in. So then we know Jesus starts talking about somebody's going to betray him. And, of course, they all want to know who it is. But this time Peter doesn't really have the courage to ask. But he knows the one that loves Jesus is sitting close to him, and his head is on his bosom. So he kind of gets his attention. You, yeah, ask him. Ask him who it is. Who is it? 
so he does, you know. Peter wants to know. He wants to be in the know. So then Jesus begins to talk, and he's talking, and, and, you know, as the night is going on, he's saying, you know, somebody's going to betray me, and, and Peter, like, he's all about it. He's like, not me, Lord. Though I die, I'm not going to betray you. He is adamant. And in the moment, I believe he's, he's speaking the truth. I will not deny you. I, even if I have to die for you, which in the future he would. He did not know that those words were really that prophetic. In the moment, though, he was ready to go. In fact, he took a sword with him. So when they go to the garden, he's all ready. And then Jesus says, he takes Peter and James and John aside again, and he says, come with me a little further in the garden. I really need to pray. So they go with him, and they fall asleep. Now, I don't fault them for that because it was late, and they didn't really understand. They weren't, they weren't understanding what Jesus was trying to tell them. All through these three years, he was trying to get them. I don't know if they still thought it was an earthly kingdom, but he's trying to work with them. He's trying to get the rough edges off. The winds, the winds of adversity are really going to come against them. They've only seen a little bit. But after the resurrection, they're going to see more. So he's trying to get them prepared. So Peter, they can't. They can't stay awake. They can't. And, and finally it comes to the time that Jesus knows that here they come for him. So the high priest... One of his servants was with the group that came. And, of course, Judas gives him the kiss. And Jesus asked him, you know, I was in the temple all these times. Why didn't you arrest me then? Because, really, they were afraid. They knew that Jesus had power, and they were afraid. So they had to go in the middle of the night. But Peter, the one who had the sword, he drew the sword, and he cut off the high priest's servant's ear. Because he was ready to go. He was ready to fight. This is not going to happen. But this is not what was intended to be. That was not the way that Jesus was going to die. It was not his time. It was not an earthly kingdom. So what does he say to Peter? Put away your sword. If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. What you sow, you're going to reap. Put that sword away, Peter. That's not what we're about. This is not the moment. It's not about fighting against the enemy. It's about teaching them. It's I have a message for this world. So, and he heals the servant's ear. Now, it amazes me that none of these people, even the high priest, you know, I'm sure the servant came and said, this is what happened and healed my ear. But they had heard about the miracles. In fact, The Pharisees were afraid of Jesus. They were afraid that everybody would turn and decide to follow Jesus because of the miracles and the signs and the wonders and the healings. So that's why they had to get rid of him so quickly. And Jesus had already told Peter that he would deny, that Peter would deny Jesus three times. And we know the story. He did. He wanted to see what was going to happen to Jesus. He wanted to stand up for Jesus. He wanted to fight for Jesus. And he would in the future. The winds had come. Adversity was coming. But that was not the moment, nor the time, nor the way. 
And when he did look into Jesus' eyes, what did he do? He went and he wept bitterly because he knew that he had failed. But yet he must have known that there was forgiveness for him. And so Jesus is crucified. And he was in the grave for three days. And when Mary Magdalene and the other woman came to the grave, and they, they were looking for Jesus, some of the women ran back and told the story that Jesus was not in the grave, that somebody had stolen his body. And John and Peter ran to that grave. Now, John outran Peter. And he looked inside the grave, inside that grave, but he did not go in. But in Luke, it tells us that Peter did not. This is Peter's personality. He's not just going to look in there. He's going to go into the grave. He's going to go into that cave and make sure that Jesus' body is not there. They didn't know what to think at that time. They didn't have all the understanding. But this is what it says in Luke 24, 34. After he was risen and after he had shown himself to some people and some of his disciples, they came and said, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. He appeared to Peter. First Corinthians 15:5 says, when Paul is talking about this, he says, and that he was seen as Cephas, and then the twelve. He was training because Peter had belief. He believed. He knew. He knew there was something greater. He just wasn't grasping all of it at that moment. You see, God has something greater for us. But are we willing to grasp what he has? Are we willing to let those winds of adversity grow us, mature us, Are we willing to turn to Jesus who has all the answers and knows and just trust him if the answer doesn't come? Are we willing to believe in hard times, in hard circumstances, that he has sent these winds, but we are mature and we can grow? You see, Peter did grow. On the day of Pentecost, he stood up and he preached the first sermon. He was willing to die for Christ. He did. And he was not willing to die the way Christ did. He wanted to be crucified upside down because he did not think he was worthy. All of the disciples gave their life for Jesus except John. And they tried to kill him, but they couldn't. The winds of adversity came. The winds of adversity came to Jerusalem. That's how the word of God spread throughout the whole world because they were camped at Jerusalem. And when adversity came, The Christians in Jerusalem, they left. They went to bring the word of God to other people. And now I'm going to read Isaiah 46, verse 4, verse 9 through 10, and verse 13. And this is really where I wanted to get. Isaiah 46, 4. And even to your old age, I am he. Even to hoary hairs will I carry you. I have made you. 
I will bear, even I will carry, and will deliver you. 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. And verse 13, I bring, I bring near my righteousness, it shall not be afar off, and my salvation shall not tarry, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. We're the new Israel. We're his glory. His counsel stands. His word stands. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Wait upon him. He will give you what you have need of. Have patience. Be still. Believe. When you come, when you pray, every day when you pray, believe that it will happen, and it will. When you come, believe and worship. You know, I see Peter in that boat falling to Jesus' knees and worshiping him. I want to worship him. He is the king of glory. He is the Lord strong and mighty. He is the Lord mighty in battle. He is my king. And I want, when the winds of adversity come, I want to have matured and to have grown and to be stable and not to be blown about and have fear. Because we are in the last days. You have to know that. And you have to grow in his grace and his knowledge. And not to be afraid. No matter what comes, he will hold you. Underneath are his everlasting arms. He will be with you. He will walk with you if you will let him. So I would just like to close with this. If we could just all stand and you could just spend five minutes in prayer, thanking him, praising him, whatever you find in your heart that you need to say to him. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the king of glory.